our sorrow into joy. Uh, and we'll read this passage in a minute, but John 16, verse uh, 33 says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That's good news. <laughs> we love to hear that, right? Uh, here, on, here on earth, no matter how you go about it, it is going to be hard. We look at our brothers and sisters in Burma, and uh, the, the truth is, it's going to be hard for them. The answers are not easy. The, the solutions are not simple. The reality is that life is going to be hard for them. In different ways, life is going to be hard for you and I. Uh, we have a lot we can be thankful for, and we don't experience the oppression that uh, people in other parts of the world experience. But there will still be difficult things for us. Uh, Jesus never promised that uh, trusting him and following him is going to mean that life is going to be automatically perfect and easy. Okay? And uh, we, you know, we wish that were true. But Jesus says right here, look, life on earth is going to be hard. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be hard things. And it's not always going to go well. Uh, but he also makes it very clear in this passage in John 16 that he will, in the life of the believer, turn every sorrow into joy. Every hardship and every difficulty has potential in Christ to be an opportunity for joy. Uh, the, the truth is, a lot of people in the world, you know, we're great, especially in the West. We love our insurance, right? We've got to have insurance. We spend lots of money on insurance. And most of our insurance is to fix things that already are broken, right? We buy insurance so that when we get sick, we can get better. When our house burns down, we can get a new house. When stuff gets stolen, they'll buy us new stuff. But forget that kind of insurance. I want insurance that will prevent all that stuff from happening, right? That's the real insurance we want. Well, they don't sell that insurance, right? Because it's impossible. But Jesus actually says, now I can ensure that uh, no matter what happens, the outcome of it can be joy. And the reality is that in the world, a lot of people try to protect and isolate and insulate themselves from trouble. And maybe uh, in the West we've gotten pretty good at mitigating problems. But has that brought us more joy? Has it made people happier? Uh, you know, they can wreck their car and get it paid for and get a new one, but does that make them happy, right? Or they don't even wreck it. They just go out and buy a new one because they don't like the old one. Does that make them happy? Well, not necessarily. And Jesus tells us that, yeah, there's going to be problems, but those troubles can be a source of joy in our life. Okay, that's good news, odd as it may be. And maybe some of you are thinking, I don't think I believe that. <laughs> I think joy comes from not having problems. Well, let's see what Jesus says about it. And to start off, actually I'm going to start in verse in chapter 17 a little bit and then jump back into chapter 16. Uh, Jesus begins after this long teaching discourse with his disciples. He turns his eyes toward heaven and he prays to the Father. And in chapter 17 he begins this amazing prayer that we will look at in the coming weeks. But let me look at just a couple of verses. He says, Father, the hour has come Glorify your Son, so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. It's interesting, as you go increasingly through this last section, it's like every verse, the focus of the cross becomes more and more in view. It's as if the, the, the shadow of the cross is just, at this point, overwhelming. And of course, Jesus knows that he is every minute drawing closer and closer to its, uh, to confronting the cross. And so every word just drips more and more with the power and significance of the cross. And here he says, Father, the hour has come. It's time. Now is the moment when I am going to the cross. Glorify your Son. And it's interesting that Jesus, uh, not just here but throughout the Gospel of John, is, has really seen his great glorifying act. The one thing that he would do that would give ultimate glory to the Father was to die on the cross. And as he gets closer, that just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger for Jesus. And so he claims again, Father, glorify the Son. In my act of obedience, as I go to the cross and I lay down my life, may this bring glory to me. And then in turn he says, may that in turn glorify you. Uh, whenever we look at suffering, it's always helpful to look at suffering through the cross. Uh, none of us will ever suffer in Burma and any other country what Jesus suffered. Uh, none of us humanly can experience all that Jesus experienced and endured when he suffered the cross. And as we go to the next chapters, um, we'll be looking at all that he endured as he went to the cross. Uh, it's significant that, that this is the context in which Jesus is talking about turning sorrow into joy. It would be really easy to make this some kind of cheesy formula that's cheap and kind of, I don't know, kind of lame, like some kind of cheap trick. But when you look at where Jesus is, it's not a cheap trick. It's, it's huge. Jesus is going to the cross. He is suffering what no one will ever suffer. He's taking on the sins of the world. Uh, he, he has emptied himself. In Philippians it says he came to this earth. He had all authority. But somehow in ways we can't, understand. It says in this passage that he prays that he would be restored, returned, in verse 5, to the former glory. Uh, but he gave that up. He came and he became a slave. He became humbled. He humbled himself. He became a human being. He took on suffering. And he took on opposition in order to go to the cross and through that to bring glory to the Father. Through that to be glorified himself. And Jesus saw past the cross and knew that someday people would be gathering in Chiang Mai, Thailand, you know, upstairs from a gym, singing, you know, these are the days of, the, of Elijah. I love that song. Great song. Uh, the days of redemption, of, of salvation coming. And we got all excited because we know Jesus saved us. We know what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? And we praise and celebrate Him. We glorify Him. Because we know that our miserable lives apart from Christ, our, our doomed lives apart from Christ, now have meaning in life. He says, I give you eternal life. Uh, to those who are mine, I, I'm giving you eternal life that you can know God the Father. All that through the cross. And uh, we know that uh, that brings the Father great joy. It brought Jesus great joy. 
So I just want to kind of paint that picture as the backdrop of what Jesus says prior to this. Okay, Jesus is not talking about cheap tricks or cheesy things or some formula. He's talking about real suffering, and he is talking about real joy. And he uh, is very clear about the fact that these two things often are deeply connected. Okay, so let's see what he says about 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 this joy, turning sorrow into joy. Uh, let me read now from uh, in chapter 16, starting at verse 16. It says, In a little while, Jesus is speaking. He says, In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked ask each other, What in the world is he talking about? In a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father. What does this mean by a little while? We don't understand. This has kind of been the cry of the disciples from the whole through the whole gospel, right? And um, they're just scratching their heads. They're agonizing. In verse 19, Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. Uh, I don't think this took any great omniscience. I think you can see the agonizing look on their faces, the worry, the doubt. And he says, are you asking yourself what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve. But your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Um, Jesus, obviously, is, is so aware of the cross, and he's trying to prepare the disciples. He's trying to gear them up for what's about to take place. And uh, he warns them uh, in these kind of riddles. They don't get it. Uh, I don't know how hard this can be, but... So it's so impossible for them that Jesus could die that this concept of going away and coming back, they just don't get it. And it's not difficult, but they're just not getting it. And uh, so Jesus uses some metaphors and symbols, and he says, look, the, the truth is, you are going to be deeply stricken with grief and pain. I'm leaving, I'm dying. He doesn't use the words, but uh, he's talking here about his death on the cross. And the truth is, it was going to be extremely painful for the disciples. And Jesus knows this. Okay, Jesus is very aware that it will be grief and pain for him, but also for the disciples. And it's the great risk, it's the great cost of loving people. Right? Uh, if you let people get close to you, you always run the risk of them hurting you. Right? And the more you let them in, the more closer they are to you, the greater for the potential for pain and agony. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't abandoning them, per se. Uh, he, was not, uh, he wasn't stabbing them in the back. Uh, he was just being murdered, okay? Uh, he was just being drugged out by his enemies and killed. But that doesn't matter. In those three years, the disciples had come to know deeply and intimately the love of Christ. And they had reciprocated that love on their part by loving Jesus deeply. They had opened the door of their heart and they had let him in to their life. And that's how relationships are. Uh, we, get, we say we get attached to people. 
when things get attached to you, you know, I remember uh, going to Nepal and hiking through the jungle one time in Nepal. Actually, we were, we were hiking, we were actually on bikes. And people had told us about leeches. And uh, we thought, well, we're on a bicycle. We're not actually touching the ground. We should be leech-free. And we'd been riding for a while, and we stopped and got out to take a break and looked down, and our legs were just covered with leeches. Yeah, yeah, you've been, you know how the leeches are. You've been there. And they get quite attached. It's crazy. And uh, so we start scraping off these things, and we're just bleeding all over the place, right? And that's kind of how it works with relationships. People get attached, and they get ripped away, <laughs> and you bleed, right? Uh, it's how relationships are. So, so Jesus is very aware of this. And he's very aware that, uh, that he's leaving them. You know, we live in a place, and it's, for me, it's, it's one of my observations about living here. There's several ways we can deal with this. Um, we, can, we can choose not to let people get close to us, right? We can build walls that keep people kind of at a safe distance. Uh, and, you know, people who have lived here in Chiang Mai for a long time, they get this way. Because everybody they've ever known has left, right? And they're the last people standing. That's how they feel. And so I, I know how it is. You start thinking, I'm just not going to get people close because it hurts too much every time they leave. This morning, just a little bit, we're going to say goodbye to Dwayne and Lana, one more dear friends who are leaving and abandoning us. Just like that. And they, we have gotten attached to them. We've loved them. They've been an important part of our church, and we want to honor them in a minute and have them come up and pray for them. But uh, it hurts when they leave. You know, people who we've grown to love and know, there is grief in that. And Jesus is aware of that. Jesus is aware of the grief this will cause his disciples. And uh, even though, you know, it's easy to say, I'm going to rise again. They didn't get that, and he knew that. And so Jesus says there's going to be grief in this world. There's going to be times of sorrow. It was true for the disciples it is true for us. Again, I, I read uh, verse 33. Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. You will have sorrow. Uh, you will have sorrow if you give yourself to people and love people in relationships. You will have sorrow. They'll move. They'll get mad at you and break off the relationship. They'll, they'll get sick and die of all the nerve. Right? Uh, we can have friends. Hi, I'm Tim. I'd like to be your friend. Don't die. Okay? doesn't work that way. All right? People get sick, they move. And here in Chiang Mai, we feel that revolving door. Chiang Mai Christian Revolving Door Fellowship. That's kind of where we are here. You know? it's, it's what happens. And uh, so we feel the pain of that. We build walls, we try to keep people at a distance. Uh, but, but, but that's not, you know, if we keep people at, at a distance, what happens is we end up with a life that's very empty and lonely. We need friendships, we need relationships, we need people. And so we've got to connect. We've got to build these relationships. But the truth is, it will always bring grief. Right? We've all lost loved ones. We all know what it is to feel the loss of death. Right? This world is full of that. But not only that, it's, it's full of all other kinds of struggles as well. All kinds of problems that will bring us sorrow and grief. Uh, Jesus just got done talking about the fact that uh, the world's going to hate you because it hates me. The world has rejected me. They're going to reject you. Uh, we're living in a country 
that uh, has welcomed Christians and, and has freedom of religion outwardly, but inwardly is rejecting us at every turn. Uh, it's tough here. Uh, how many of you have found that out? The ministry here is tough. Anybody? Okay, the rest of you just wait. Okay, it'll get worse. Right, Dan? Um, it's tough. Uh, when I was in the pastoring in the United States, looking back now, easiest thing ever. Okay, ministry there compared to here is so easy. There, you know, we could start youth groups, we could start Awana programs, we could start church outreaches, we could do all kinds of stuff. And it always was powerful and effective. And even though our church was at the end of the world with like 12 people in our whole county, we could get all 12 people out to an event. It was amazing, right? I'm exaggerating, but almost. Uh, it was easy. Here it's tough. There are constantly closed doors. And we get this sense that, you know, they don't really want us here. Because they don't. They don't want to hear the good news. Right? And Satan is behind that. Satan is stirring up. The prince of this world has been conquered, but not yet fully. And the world, as Jesus says, the world hates you. And if you come in the name of Christ, you will meet opposition. So it's tough. And there are problems and difficulties and struggles. Um, And I don't know what's causing you struggles and pain today, uh, but you know the things that hurt you, that bring you grief. But Jesus makes this incredible promise. He he says to his disciples, um, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Okay? Now he doesn't say, it's important to get this distinction, he does not say, you will grieve, but enough good things are going to happen that it kind of covers over or compensates for the sad stuff. A lot of times that's what we think he's saying here. There's going to be hard things, but there's going to be good things that are going to make up for it. That's not what he's saying. He says, the things that cause you sorrow will turn into joy. In other words, the sorrowful things are important. Because it is through those difficulties and those sorrows and trials that you will come to experience a new kind of joy. And he uses an illustration. I love this illustration because I'm a guy and I can't really relate to it personally. He says it's like a woman giving birth to a child. We have some wonderful pregnant ladies with us this morning. We could actually call Ching Mai Christian Fellowship Ching Mai Childbirth Fellowship. Because throughout the year, we have people coming from all different countries to give birth in, in, in uh, Ching Mai. We have them come through our church, and uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, but it's not necessarily fun for the ladies giving birth. There are parts of it that I'm told are not especially fun. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem that hard to me. Right? I guess that's not true. Okay? I remember having my hand almost broken as Denise was holding it, giving in labor. And so I know it's hard. And it's painful. I've seen it. I've seen it. That's right. And Jesus says, it's like this. There is pain. There is hardship. But in an instant, what happens? That pain, that pain, is instantly turned into joy. It is converted from a terrible, agonizing experience that you want to get out of to instantly being great joy. Why? Because all of a sudden there's this little person that comes into the world and you get to hold this person 
no matter how bad it was before, instantly that event becomes an event of incredible joy. And you rejoice. And you are happy. Right? The, the sorrow is turned into joy. And Jesus here is speaking directly and specifically about the cross. He's saying that, you know, as painful as this event is for you, the cross, and it is for me, that very event will, in the end, become for you joy. Now, it becomes joy, certainly, when, they, when Jesus rose again and they saw him. And certainly there was, there was the good news that his death was not permanent. But I believe Jesus is really speaking about more than that. Because he's saying that their joy would never, no one could ever rob it. It could never be ended. Okay, it would be ongoing forever and ever. And the reality is that, sure, Jesus came back, he saw the disciples a few times, and then he left earth permanently. Okay, if their grief was caused by Jesus leaving, they should still be sad. Okay, it was great he came back, he hung out with us for a couple days, but then he left forever. 2,000 years still counting, right? Uh, there's, if that was all Jesus is talking about, there would not be unending joy. The reality is that what Jesus is talking about is that the cross changed everything for all of us. That now, as he says in his prayer, he says, now they can know the Father and know the Son and they can enjoy eternal life and fellowship and communion with us. You see, when they saw Jesus, it wasn't just that he rose again, although that was incredible, but it was that it made everything he taught and said have new significance and meaning. And now there's joy because they understand finally the truth of what, what Jesus is talking about. Finally they get it. Not before the cross, after the cross, when they see the resurrected Savior and they understand their redemption. And they write these incredible epistles in the rest of the New Testament, explaining what they've come to understand, how Jesus has now paid the penalty. We are clothed in his righteousness. We have direct access into God's presence. We can abide in him, as John taught. They finally get it after the cross. They understand John 15. And they can start living in it. Uh, not because they saw the resurrected Christ a few times, but because day by day, moment by moment, they can have an abiding relationship with Him, and that is joy. So Jesus teaches this principle that those painful things in life can be turned into joyful events through the cross. In other words, the redeeming work of Christ makes the worst things in our life the greatest, and the greatest sources of joy. It was true on the cross, but I think we could also extend this out and apply this in our own life as well. Um, the reality is that uh, in John 17, Jesus declares, I have been given all authority. Uh, he says that he's been, uh, in, in verse, uh, we'll see this at the end of chapter 16, he says, I have conquered the world. The truth is, okay, and don't get angry at God about this, but the truth is, God could keep you from all hardship and sorrow. The work of Christ could potentially end for you all sorrow and hardship and difficulty. The reality is that God allows some sorrow and difficulty and hardship in our life for a reason. Now, I don't even want to begin to claim that I could explain those reasons. Right? I, couldn't, I can't give you every answer for why God still allows trouble in your life. But the reality is that He does. He allows it for a reason. And I really believe that the reason he allows it is that through those difficulties in your life, you will come to know a fuller and greater joy. All right? 
that God wants to turn the pain in your life and redeem it into a good thing. Uh, That was true for the disciples. Up to that point, the death of Jesus was by far the most difficult, painful thing any of them had ever experienced. But it also became the source of their ultimate joy. Jesus wants to do that for every hardship and difficulty and situation in our life. He wants the end of it to be joy. Well, how do you do that? How do you get there? Well, he's going to give us a couple clues in a minute. But let me just say simply, uh, knowing that God has a purpose in everything, he brings us closer to himself through, through these difficulties. Okay, The reality is that if life always went perfect for us, we would never really experience God the way he wants us to experience him. The truth is that there's a lot about God we can only learn and know and experience through suffering and struggles. Let me give you an example. I've shared this story before, but the good thing about having a revolving church is that probably 90% of you haven't heard it. The 10% who have, that's okay. Uh, a number, it's just, I share this because it's just a good, it's dramatic. There are simple ways God does this, but there are big ways. Um, several years ago, actually, when I first, first year I, we lived in Thailand, uh, I traveled to India to share at a pastor's conference and teach there. And uh, I had a flight arranged to go from Chiang Mai, uh, well, from Bangkok to Kolkata, from Kolkata to Vaisak, the city where I was to teach. Well, the flight was delayed. I ended up getting to Kolkata late, and I missed my flight to Vaisak, which is a bummer. And Kolkata is not the greatest place to get stuck. But I thought, no problem, I'll just, I'll just catch the train, right? Well, little did I know that it was right in the middle of Durga Puja, this huge festival in, in India. And all the train offices were closed. And when I finally got a hold of a train person, they said, oh, yeah, you will never get a seat on a train. It is impossible. Um, so I started looking at my options. No train. Uh, the next flight to the city where I need to go is three days away. The uh, next flight back to Bangkok is three days away. There are just people crushing crowds in, uh, coming into Kolkata. And I'm stuck in this airport. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a problem. Okay, I'm stuck in this place I really don't want to be. And I had uh, been meditating on it. God had really given me, I thought, from my, uh, my time of teaching there, had spoke to me from Psalm 50. And I'd really believed that God wanted me to preach on Psalm 50. Uh, as I sat in the airport, uh, just totally dejected, feeling miserable, and feeling, uh, actually, just feeling stuck. Feeling, man, I just wanted to just minister. And here I am. Uh, it's, I don't say bad things about Kolkata, but it really is just not a nice place. Um, and I realized that God gave me Psalm 50 for me, not for the guys I was teaching. Psalm 50 says this. It says, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or burnt offerings, but I don't need them. He says, do I, do I need the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? No. What I want from you, Tim, is a thankful heart. Keep your vows you made to the Most High, and then call on me when you are in trouble. Oh, call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. And God had really been speaking to me from that passage that it's not about what I did for God that counted. That God's glorified by rescuing me. He says, when you're in trouble, 
You call on me for help and I will come and rescue you and you will give me glory. That's my plan. That's the way I want to work in your life, by helping you in trouble. I'm going, oh, I get it. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll buy that. I'm in trouble. Okay, I got it, Lord. Help! <laughs> right? And I remember reading this passage just going, okay, God, I, I'm slow, but I get it. I says, I need your help. And uh, I'll, I won't go into the whole story, but, uh, you know, I remember standing at the train station. I finally made it down to the train station. And in a room about a tenth the size of this room, there were about 300 people packed trying to get tickets. And uh, they said, there's no way. You can't get a ticket. There's no way. Uh, but I prayed. I trusted God. And miraculously, the next morning, I was on the train uh, to where I needed to go. And God rescued me. And I'm still giving that story because I can give God glory for how he rescues. Uh, that problem, I didn't want it. Uh, it was, at, at, a, at one point, very depressing and discouraging. But God knows how to turn it into joy. When we turn those things over to him, and he rescues us. And through his rescuing, we see his loving hand at work in our life. And there's joy in that. See, God wants to bless us with his kindness. He wants to show us his faithful love and goodness and sometimes the only way he can do that is when we're in trouble. If everything, you know, how, how many of us pray desperately those kind of prayers, like I was praying at the airport in Kolkata, the train station, when everything goes well? Yeah, we get on there and say, oh yeah, God, thanks you. By the way, you know, I hope the flight all goes well. But like, you know, I'm out. You know, we don't really pray fervent prayers. We don't seek God's help. But boy, when things are going wrong and there's trouble, we pray, don't we? And God is faithful to meet us in those times of need. So, Jesus is telling us that every sorrow can be turned into a place of great joy. And he gives us three simple ways to do that. We'll run through these real quick. First one, he says, um, and he says, he says basically, you'll be joyful because you'll see me. Uh, real simply, the first, the first thing, and maybe the greatest reason we find joy is that we, through these sorrows, we do get to see and experience Jesus and his faithfulness in a new way. Uh, it's often through our difficulties and struggles that we really encounter Christ and experience his touch in our life. More than just knowledge and information and distant promises, those promises take on uh, flesh and blood, as it were. They become real, often in the midst of our troubles. So we, we really see Jesus in a significant and real way in our troubles. Secondly, though, let me spend a little bit more time on this one, uh, is the joy, the cross issued in for us as believers, a new era of power in prayer, of answered prayer. And Jesus says simply this. He says, okay, at that time you'll have this incredible joy no one can rob, and at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly... And he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. That last verse in the Greek is very abbreviated. It says simply this. Be asking, be getting, be happy. Okay? Uh, actually, the last one, it, to be literal, would be, be be asking, be getting, or receiving so that you can be filled to overflowing with joy. It would be a very direct, literal translation of that verse. 
Um, up until this time, if you remember when Moses was out with the people of Israel in the desert, and uh, they got to Mount Sinai, and they were having this big, great, fun time camping out, and uh, God came down from the mountain, and he spoke to the people from the mountain. All the people heard it, and it, and it says they were terrified. And they all ran to Moses and said, Moses, this is too much for us. If God speaks to us directly, we will die. You talk to him. You just talk to him. We'll, we'll go through you. And so from that day on, it was God's arrangement and plan that he would communicate with Israel through a mediator. With Moses, the priest, up until the day of Jesus, they were not entitled, did not have the right to go directly to the Father and ask for things. They had to go through a mediator. Jesus says because of the cross, uh, that's no longer necessary. Hebrews 10, 19-22, Jesus says, or the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus by his own blood made a way for us into the holy place, the most holy place, so that now we can have direct access to the Father. Through the cross, we now are in a new age where we can go directly to the Father and ask Him for anything. Uh, and, and in fact, this is stated here as a command. Jesus commands us, go and ask. And be getting from the Father His answers and His, his provisions and His wisdom so that you will be filled with joy. Now, uh, we've talked about this before. We talked about it in John 15 that... God, Jesus' expectation is that we would live lives filled with answered prayer. Okay? Uh, and it's this whole sorrow being turned into joy thing. How does sorrow get turned into joy? Well, it gets turned into joy through answered prayer. Through us encountering difficulties, asking God for help, asking for His provision, Him giving us what we need, and the result is we have joy because we know God really cares about us. And we directly experience his hand in our life. How many of you want that? Okay. I hope you want that. How many of you want to be happy? This is the way to be happy. All right. This is it. Jesus says this is the way that you will experience incredible, unending, fulfilling joy in your life. You'll be filled to overflowing with joy when you learn how to live in this life of answered prayer. So that's what I'm offering up to you. Through the cross, you now have the privilege of incredible answered prayer. Now, if you're like me, I, I don't know what you think about this, but for me, I came up with two kind of objections to this, okay, two problems with this whole concept, right? The first one is there's just something that sounds very selfish about it, right? It sounds so selfish to just be, and, and you know, and, and maybe we know Christians that are kind of like this, that are very self-centered. They're just always asking God for things. They seem to be so selfish. And there's something that just seems wrong about this always asking God for stuff, right? Like he's some kind of Santa Claus and our you know, vending machine. We just put in our request. Or we're just like a spoiled child brat that's just going, give me, 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 right? So we think, well, I'm not going to be a Christian like that. I'm going to be mature and spiritual and... I'm going, to, I'm going to measure out my requests, two or three a year. I'm going to save up for big ones, right? And I want to use up my quota, right? Well, that sounds spiritual on a level, but it's not, okay? Now, it's true that we could become, we could be very childish, childish self-centered people who approach God in this method, in this way, 
And the reality is that God won't answer our prayers. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but that doesn't mean that the problem is in asking. The problem is just in being selfish, right? We're commanded to ask. We're commanded and directed by God to ask. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Okay, if you love Jesus, you'll ask him for stuff. All right? Uh, if you don't ask, you're being disobedient. You're showing you don't really love him. I love that Jesus says, he says this, he says, um, I've spoken about these matters figuratively, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively. I will tell you plainly about the Father. Then you will ask in my name, and I'm not going to ask on your, on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe I came from him. The, the truth is, God loves you dearly. God the Father loves you as, his, as a father loves any child. As parents, how many of us want to do good things for our children? Hopefully all of us. That's what it is to be a parent. We, we want to bless and give our kids the world. We want to give them a life better than ours. We want to give them anything we possibly can to bring them joy. If we want to do that, how much more does God want to do that for us? Uh, part of the way we endear and show our love is that we depend on other people. The reality is, the reason we don't ask is not because we're selfish. Oftentimes it's because we're, we're proud. We are independent beings. All right? I'll pick on the guys for a minute. Guys, why do we not ask for directions? Because we don't want people's help, right? I can figure it out on my own. I don't want to... I don't want to admit to somebody, I'm lost. I need your help. I'm going to be proud, and I'm going to be independent. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm not going to put myself at someone else's mercy. Right? We do the exact same thing to God. God, I, I'm, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm not going to put myself at your mercy. Right? You see, there's nothing spiritual or noble about that. There's something very proud and independent that is not the part of God's child. So he says, ask. Ask, ask. It's Psalm 51. If you have trouble, ask me for help, and I will help you and you give glory to my name. Okay? The key to joyful life is answered prayer. Having confidence of knowing that when we're stuck and in trouble and having difficulties, there is a God who will listen and who loves us and who will solve our problems, who will give us wisdom, who will give us guidance, who will give us the things we need. And through that, we will find great joy. Uh, there's another reason we don't ask, uh, partly because it, it sounds selfish. Um, the second reason is because Maybe we tried it once or twice or 50 times and it didn't work. How many have had that experience? Okay, It's like I tried this, I asked one time and God did not answer and I was not happy. And I tried again and the same result and I tried this and I've given up because, well, it doesn't work. Maybe it works for other people, it doesn't work for me. How many of you have had that? You have to raise your hand. How many in all honesty would say, that's why I don't pray? Because I tried it and it didn't work. Well, there are reasons sometimes why it doesn't work. And it's true that God often does not give us 
everything we ask for. Maybe we do ask selfishly. Uh, the reality is, though, that we have to know this perspective. When we go directly to the Father through the blood of Christ, in Jesus' name, through his work, we go to a Father who has given his own Son to die on the cross for us. He has given us everything already in Christ. He has given himself to us already in Christ. God is not ever holding anything back from you and I. His heart is to give you and I everything he possibly can. So here's the deal. If you go and you ask God for something and you don't get it, you can be sure there's very good reasons. Okay? And the reasons always have to do with the fact that it would not be good for you. You know, if you have parents of teenagers, you're kind of caught in this dilemma. You want your kids to drive, right? Because it means, it means you are set free from the lifelong sentence as a taxi driver. Right? Poor Kishara, when she was 16, she didn't want to drive. I drug her to the driver's license place and made her take her driver's test. Uh, because I, I was done driving kids everywhere. And uh, poor thing, child, she had, to, she had to do this. And she's... But the dilemma is, you know, is my kid... Am I really ready to hand the responsibility of driving over to my child? Are they ready? Can they handle this yet? And every parent has to answer that. Knowing their child, are they ready for this responsibility? And we go to God in prayer and we ask for things. God as a father is confronted with the same dilemma. He wants to give us the world. He wants to give us so much. But he has to say, you know, are, are they ready for this yet? Are you at a place in your life where you're walking in faith and obedience to the degree that I can trust you with all of these blessings? As I look back at my life, a lot of the things that God did not answer, He didn't give me that I thought I needed, that I thought I had to have, was because I was not a place in my life yet where I could handle the responsibility of that gift. It would have wrecked me. It would have ruined me. And so God holds back. Now, some of you have prayed for success in ministry, and God has not given you that success. Because it's not because He doesn't want you to be successful in ministry. It's because he knows that you're not at a place where that success would be good for you. It may, in fact, cause you to stop serving and following him. So he's given you failure because he wants you to learn more, right? He wants you to trust more. He wants you to depend more on him. Um, so here's the deal. He wants to give. He longs for you to ask. He longs for you to ask. So, what do you pray about? Well, I would suggest pray about everything. Ask for everything. And then leave it up to God to figure out what you're ready for and what you're not. You know? And where He gives, you give thanks, you glorify Him, you praise Him. When He doesn't give, you praise Him for His goodness. That in His wisdom and His goodness, He did not give you what you asked. And He has another plan. And you keep waiting and trusting in Him. Growing in Him. Abiding in Him. Ask about everything. Ask for wisdom. Ask for guidance. Ask Him to show us His will. Ask for uh, big things. Ask for impossible things. God is not glorified by doing things we could do by ourselves. He's glorified by doing impossible things. Ask for impossible things. Uh, ask, receive, get really happy. 
It's biblical. Okay, John chapter 16. Tim Dunham translation. Okay. Last thing. He says, um, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The last thing, the cross has brought final victory over evil, over Satan, and over the world. Uh, No matter how bad things go in your life, know this. Jesus has guaranteed absolute victory. He has conquered the world. He has conquered sin and death. There is no problem that in the end will not be turned into his victory. We can have great joy knowing we are on the winning team. No matter what happens in our life, if we die, if we go completely broke, if we starve to death, if we uh, get sick, if, if, you know, if we have to leave our ministry because it just didn't go well or enough support didn't come in or our, our, our visions and hopes didn't pan out, what to us seems like defeat is not defeat. And I believe God has a lot more for us than those things. I believe God wants to bring success. But even in the face of difficulty, know that he has brought final victory. And in the end, it's all going to be good. In the end, we all get to celebrate on the winning team in Christ. Okay, We will rejoice that there has been victory because through the cross, he has overcome the world. And that's true in our life. Uh, Romans, we are overcomers in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you uh, so thankful for your love. Just constantly in awe of the cross, of, uh, of the incredible gift that Jesus gave as he poured out his life uh, to show love, to, to, to become the perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice for our sin. And that through that sacrifice, we have direct access into your presence, that we can go to the very God, Creator, Sovereign Lord of the universe, and we can ask for anything in the name and power of Jesus, and we can trust you to work. We can trust you to give us your blessings, to fulfill every promise. Lord, help us to grow and be mature enough in you to be ready to receive all your good gifts, all your blessings. Lord, help us to have faith to ask about everything and faith to believe you even when we don't get exactly what we want, that you are answering, you are giving. You are giving your love to us every day. And in the end, we will be victorious in Christ. We just praise you and we pray that even now as we turn to worship you, we would celebrate your awesome wonder. As Jesus prayed, Father, glorify the Son. Lord, we want to glorify the Son right now and rejoice in what you've given us through the cross. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.